0: We are experiential beings, and what we're seeing is that experiences have the power to not just drive one incremental sale, but really to change lifetime value and last lasting behavior.
1: welcome to the authentically successful show i'm carol schultz founder and ceo of vertical elevation a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm we partner with founders and ceos to create talent-centric organizations either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations we are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy successful companies leveraging the best talent retention development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My guest today is Jonathan Yaffe, co-founder and CEO of AnyRoad, a data analytics platform that helps companies create brand loyalty, change consumer behavior, and better understand their brand associations by providing them with data intelligence, Sourced from experience based marketing, also known as experience relationship management. Any Road powers the data behind many of the Fortune 2000s experiences, which include Absolute, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, Michael's Arts and Crafts, and Honda, among others. Jonathan, welcome to the show. It's so great to be here, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it is my pleasure. So, can you like paint me a picture of the biggest problem you're solving for your clients because when i think of experience relationship management Mm -hmm. i think of a survey i got recently after i put two new tires on one of my vehicles and the company sent me a survey at the end of that but i'd like you to tell me a little bit more i mean is, is that am i on the right track is it something completely different what is it? That no, do
0: actually? Uh, t- totally different track. Uh, okay. and I would argue that putting a tire on your truck is not really an experience. So <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the problem we're solving here is that fortune 2000 brands, uh, pretty much uh-huh. every brand in the world is investing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars a year on experiences. Mm. And wow. they're doing this from, uh, from in-store classes and activities to uh, brewery tours and wine tastings at wineries mm-hmm. to car test drives uh, to driving a Corvette uh, all around Kentucky um, to visit <laughs> to visit all your favorite whiskey distilleries, which I know is something that, that you love to do. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that all these these experiences have in common is that they're meant to build brand love and really capture the hearts of company's customers. The problem we're mm-hmm. solving is that no one really knows how, these, how this works. No one really That's understands right, right. how to connect the experience directly to millions of consumers and how this is actually changing their brand perception and ultimately mm-hmm. leading to revenue growth.
1: That's really interesting. Can you give me an actual example
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, you brought up Michael's. Michael's is an amazing uh, art store mm-hmm. uh, company with 1,255 art stores in North America. And uh, mm-hmm. over 1 million people per year take art classes there. So you can do take art classes in their stores. You can take art classes online. And they do this not just to make money, but because they believe mm-hmm. that people, that by bringing together the maker community, by bringing mm-hmm. together... Uh, Everyone who loves arts and crafts uh, globally, that they can actually build more loyalty, build more brand perception, and then the next time you want to buy paint- painting supplies, you're going to go to Michaels. And turns out it works. Mm. It works very, very well, uh, better than any kind of you know traditional digital marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and and we power. all all aspects of both the infrastructure for these classes, but also most importantly, the data connecting consumers to the experiences to behavioral change.
1: That's really interesting. So you got your degree from uh, Berkeley Mm -hmm. uh, in cognitive science and then went off to your first job at Red Bull. Yes. Tell me, and, and this is, I, I'm assuming this is kind of like where you learned what you're doing now or where Absolutely. you began to have the epiphany. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your journey to AnyRoad and, you know, when you had the epiphany that this is a problem that really people need solving.
0: Yeah. So this was about 20 years ago. AnyRoad had just, I'm sorry, not Any Road. Red Bull had just come to the United States. Uh, not that many people knew what Red Bull was yet. And I got hired right out of college onto the marketing team. And this totally blew my mind because we were spending over a billion dollars per year on experiences. And we believed even back then that digital marketing was completely oversaturated, right? Mm-hmm. Every day, living in California, Colorado, we see something like 14,000 advertisements. And every time we see a billboard by the side of the road or click on an Instagram ad or receive a spam email or look at a banner ad on the internet, these don't actually change our behavior at all. Right. However, you bring your best friends this crazy Red Bull event and there are people jumping out of airplanes, going Mm -hmm. down mountains on tricycles. DJs Mm -hmm. are playing, people are dancing. Everyone's having an amazing time and somebody comes up to you and hands you an ice cold Red Bull. This actually creates an emotional bond that not only changes your perspective of the Red Bull Mm -hmm. brand, but also changes Mm -hmm. your purchase behavior going forward. Mm -hmm. So we spent over a billion dollars per year on this. Clearly it worked, Mm -hmm. right? Red Bull has by far number one market share. But it drove me absolutely crazy that we had no Mm -hmm. data. I'm a data geek. I I wanted to understand exactly how these experiences were actually changing, you know, the, 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 the... Mm-hmm. Brand perception and the consumption habits of 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 our customers, and we had nothing. And when I dove into it, what we realized now is that the world is significantly more experiential, but the world is also more data driven.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we look at this as a as a huge problem worth solving because really every organization has become an experiential organization. Uh, Mm -hmm. and every organization needs to really have data to make, uh, to make business decisions.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a good segue into, you know, you founded the company with your brother, Mm -hmm. Daniel in 2013, he is the co-founder and COO and, you know, his background, he founded a film company and then a lifestyle magazine about alcohol culture. What was it about his background that made him a good partner for you?
0: Yeah. So, uh, Daniel wrote a book, uh, called Mm -hmm. drink more whiskey. And, uh, this was a, a, a amazing book. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're at all into whiskey and in what I call his research with quotes, his research phase. uh, He got to go to Japan and Kentucky and Tennessee Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Scotland. And he got to go to these Mm -hmm. amazing whiskey distilleries. And and he has these stories of going to to Scotland and going to the McAllen Castle and they... Mm -hmm. There was a butler there and they took him into the secret room and there were like all the McAllens they had ever made and just gave him a glass and he got to taste that. And he had food there and he stayed overnight. And it was this incredible experience. So much so that now when he goes to a bar and he sees a bottle of McAllen, he thinks back to this incredible McAllen experience. And he went to them and he said, look, this is pretty expensive to invest in. Like you're a whiskey brand. You have this castle and you have to pay a butler and you have to pay cooks and like a lot of upkeep, like hundreds Mm -hmm. of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? And they're like, Oh, because people come and they have this incredible experience and they become lifelong Macallan whiskey drinkers. Uh, I believe that, you know, you have this amazing experience. It changes your consumption Mm -hmm. habits. And he's Mm -hmm. like, is that, does it really work? And they're like, no, we think so. What do you mean you think so? You don't have any data around it? They're like, no, we, we believe that it works. And this combined with my Red Bull experience, we just realized that literally every brand that we could think of, and we play this game sometimes where we're like, Unilever, is Unilever investing in experiential? Yes, Unilever is spending a billion dollars per year on experiential. Um, and we, we start to understand that really every business that is thriving is becoming experiential business and the ones that are not becoming experiential businesses are being completely disrupted
1: that's so interesting so you know as i said you founded the company in in 2013 um and you've raised you're in series a you've raised about 24 million dollars over three rounds what is it about what you're doing that has your investors excited so
0: I think there are two things. One, we've built a platform that no in in an area that no one else has has built. Uh, Mm. Daniel and I both had very unique experiences, his in the Mm. alcohol world, mine in the Red Bull world, where we realized that the experience economy is thriving, but that the secret to really uh, powering it was from a data centric perspective. Uh, And this is something Mm -hmm. that that This was a very unique insight that uh, was, I think, a little bit ahead of its time. Um, The other piece of this is really the macro trends. So our entire company is not necessarily a bet on specific software products we're building, but it's a bet on the experience economy. And we believe uh, that the world is in a massive cultural and economic shift at the moment from a things economy to an experience economy. Mm -hmm. And we see this in terms of millennials who spend way more money on experiences than things. In fact, 72% Mm -hmm. of millennials prefer to to spend money on experiences than things. Car ownership is declining all over the world. Retail brands are literally shutting down every single week. But the brands that are thriving are actually transforming themselves into experiential businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, US consumer brands are spending $71 billion per year U.S. consumer brands alone are spending $71 billion per year on experiences and mm-hmm. none of them have data. So what we realize is that this ex- this experience economy is taking over every industry. And, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to not only uh, be the catalyst that can help it grow, but really uh, be the platform that um, that turns it into direct data and ROI.
1: Is your prospect sweet spot just the Fortune 2000s? Um,
0: mostly. Um, we are, we, we, we yeah. work with some mid-market companies too, um, but really it's any organization that has a, uh, that makes decisions with data. Um, so gener- generally that's, you know, that's large enterprises that are selling to consumers um, mm-hmm. and understand that the world is experiential, but it's not enough to 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 spend on experiential without actually having the data and ROI to back that up.
1: So it's strictly B2C? Uh,
0: we work with strictly B2C companies, yes, today.
1: Okay. Yeah, interesting. So you said you made a pivot early on and, you know, like I said, you founded the company in 2013. You didn't take your seed round till 2015. Tell me a little bit about that journey from founding the company and the pivot to where you are now.
0: Yeah. So the philosophy has always been the same, right? Which is to actually build software and data for the experience economy to both mm-hmm. power it and be the catalyst to, to expand it. Um, we started the company focused on small businesses though. Um, mm. And the, 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 core flaw here uh, was that small businesses don't really care a lot about data. Uh so, uh, we we pounded our head on the wall for about four years. Uh, you know, we were close to shutting down the company at some point. Um, and at the key the key takeaway here was that we realized that we were sitting on mountains of data, and this was really important data that could link a consumer uh, through the experience directly to a business outcome. So much so that we could we could start to predict when these SMBs were going to go out of business. We could start to predict when they were actually going to take off based on the experience. And so the key here is linking the experience with revenue. Um, and around the same time, uh, we met Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, mm-hmm. who said, Jonathan, this is basically the experiential Salesforce, uh, except... Stop selling to SMBs. This needs to be an enterprise platform. Yeah. Enterprises yeah. need this data that can link experiences directly to uh, to business outcomes, and they'll pay you a lot of money for it. So pivot. Um, and he led our he co led our seed round.
1: Well, wow, that's fantastic. Do you have competitors?
0: Not today. I'm um, sure we will. Uh, I think yeah. we're about five, six years ahead of any potential competitors from a um, from a software and, and innovation perspective. But I, I'm sure we will see competitors as the space heats up.
1: Mm-hmm. So, how do you how do you currently find your prospects, and then subsequently customers, outbound or inbound? Uh,
0: it used to be outbound. Um, post-pandemic, it's a lot of inbound. Um, what we're seeing is for the first time in a year and a half, people are finally leaving their living rooms and, and going out into the world. And yep. post-pandemic, experiential is just booming. Um, significantly larger than it ever was pre-pandemic. And the interesting thing is we've significantly expanded what we consider an experience because of the pandemic. Uh, It used to be all IRL, in-real-life experiences, um, and now digital experiences are experiences too. So people like my mom, who had never heard of Zoom before, now every day she's on Zoom classes and Zoom lectures and Zoom theater Uh, the world has fundamentally changed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is this explosion of both in real life experiences coming back because we are Mm -hmm. human beings who crave connection, who crave experiences. Um, But also uh, this is not cannibalizing online experiences and so this combination of online and offline is really powering the the, the growth of the experience economy and so now we're getting a ton of inbound that we're trying to keep up with from brands that we had never even considered experiential brands
1: what is it about experience that creates loyalty
0: it's a change of emotion um, so the same way that we see 14,000 advertisements a day and, mm. you know, you, you, might see a, a pair of, uh, Lululemon yoga pants on Instagram mm-hmm. and like, Oh, it's on mm-hmm. sale. Maybe I'll buy that. Yeah. Um, but if, if if Lululemon could get you to start taking yoga classes every week at the local Lululemon store and you love this right. teacher, Marie, her, she's an amazing yoga teacher and uh, she, she teaches so well and you're taking her classes, her classes every week in the Lululemon store and they play your favorite song and it's, you get to meet the other people and you're making friends there. This actually builds emotion. It builds emotional connection. Yeah. So you don't look mm-hmm. at this as a company that makes pants. You look at this as a company that is actually fueling experiences. And we are mm-hmm. experiential people, right? We are experiential mm-hmm. beings. Um, and what we're seeing is that experiences have the power to not just drive one incremental sa- sale, but really to change lifetime value and last- lasting behavior. Mm.
1: Is loyalty age-related or generational? Um, it is things?
0: segmented, let me put it that way, yeah. right? Yeah. So, if you do yoga every single day, mm-hmm. uh, and I never do yoga, we should probably not be in the same Lululemon yoga class. Or, <laughs> if if you and I want to go to uh, Stranahan's Whiskey, uh, mm-hmm. which is out You're in, in Colorado, Denver, yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: and they have incredible experiences, incredible mm-hmm. whiskey experiences and tastings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do. The two of us are going to go together to you know go drink some whiskey. But you love Stranahan's, and I actually don't drink. Not sure. I'm just hypothetically speaking. Mm-hmm. We should probably yeah, yeah. not be in the same experience because mm-hmm. we would we we would not find we it would not impact us exactly the same. So yes, mm-hmm. this is age related, but really mm-hmm. experiences are. Across classes, across demographics, across ages mm-hmm. um, and and really impact people very differently, but impact people all the same.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I kind of think of you know the time that we're living in as people just don't have loyalty to anybody, you know and, and the consumer the consumer world, consuming world that we live in you know, if I get it cheaper at this place than that place, I'll just buy it from there. I mean, I don't happen to be that way, but, you know, I I, I kind of look around and think the bulk of people are.
0: I, I I think that's right, especially in the age of social media where there's, you know, mm-hmm. millions of different messages. However, if you look right. at some of the most timeless brands, uh, yeah. if you look at people who have MacBooks and then they get AirPods and then they get an iPad and then they have an iPhone. And once you're in the Apple ecosystem, Mm -hmm. there's an immense loyalty in that. Um, We see the same with brands like Audi. Uh, Audi has approximately a 97% retention rate, which means if you have an Audi, there's a 97% chance your next car is an Audi. Um, If Mm -hmm. you have a Tesla, there's approximately 100% chance your next car will be a Tesla. Um, and once you're able to actually build these relationships and I call it relationships Mm -hmm. on purpose, uh, because it is a double opt-in relationship, right? You are saying, Hey, I, I love the, uh, the Audi brand. I'm sometimes going to drive an Audi around a racetrack, uh, because it is an incredible experience. This Mm -hmm. actually causes emotion. I'm going to buy an Audi and then I'm going to be an Audi customer for life.
1: Yeah. So I feel about my Ford F-250, (laughs) you know, I've been, I've been driving Fords for a long time.
0: (laughs) And so, (laughs) so I, I I do think, I I do think there is loyalty with, with brands that people really love. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I I think that the focus needs to be more on how to build these relationships and how to strengthen them. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than kind of the, the the whole digital marketing world was, which is how can I sell one incremental thing
1: more? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. What would you say are the biggest challenges, uh, Jonathan, that you're facing? You know, inside your company? So
0: we're growing very, very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. We we over tripled uh, in the last year. Uh, we're on track to do that again this next year.
1: Revenue-wise or employee-wise, when you say triple, uh, what do you revenue mean? Revenue-wise, revenue-wise. Okay. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And in order to support this growth, um, we are increasing our our you know our headcount quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we are moving to a new office at some point next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we are looking at new geographies. We're looking at building out you know, our teams more. And mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. absolutely obsessed with culture, but I also know that mm-hmm. culture changes. We are not the same company we were when we were 15 That's people. Right. We're right. now around 80 mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and we'll be around 160 by this time next year. And mm-hmm. when I think about what's important from a values perspective and what's, a, you know, we have these ethos at, at any road, which is, um, which is kind of how we how we govern and how we, you know, find mm-hmm. new roadies, which is what we call our, right. our, our teammates uh, and how we retain people. Um, the way that we do that now is not necessarily the way we're going to do that in a year, uh, right. just based right. on on size. And so the biggest challenge here is is how do we not mess up the culture uh, while mm-hmm. still, you know, growing the team and, and being able to support our, our growing customer base?
1: Gosh, I'm so glad you said that because that is, that is one of the main things I, I talk to founders about, you know, who you are when you start up, you, you know, you can say this is what our culture is and you can, you can still have a vision of that culture, but the reality is, you know, you may only have one level of management or two levels of management right now. In a year, you might have one more level of management and in another year or two, you'll have, may have another level of management or more managers, you know, how do you find people and, you know, maintain that alignment around your culture when you keep adding more people? I mean, right. it's the age old question. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, fill in the blank, any giant company, right? You work with a lot of them. Uh, they're not who they are now, what they were you know, 20 years ago or 10 years right. ago, even. Right.
0: Right. And it's usually challenging. Oh, definitely. But I think it's important to have the, um, the need to have, right. What are, what are the things that Mm -hmm. are, are, are going to stay the same that we do not budge on? What are the, what are the Mm -hmm. values that we Mm -hmm. make sure that we live by?
1: And, and who determines those values that you live by?
0: Um, it has to be intentional you know we 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 set them at the beginning uh daniel and i mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and you know and in, in in the beginning the 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 core team really said look mm-hmm. what are the values that we want to build this team by um and again they they change um you know there there are things that are 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 difficult to keep as we grow um but the core values have never changed uh and that's really important
1: mm-hmm. to us What's your vision for the company? So
0: I believe that the world is becoming more experiential uh, exponentially. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the key to really pushing that even faster is to Mm -hmm. show brands uh, that Experiences are far stronger than any other form of of connection and engagement, uh, and provide access to the entire world to the most transformative experiences. Um, one thing that I feel very fortunate about is that we're not selling things, we're not selling objects, we're not, you know, mm-hmm. like that's not who we are as a company. Um, right. We actually are measuring happiness and working to optimize that happiness that people feel when they're on a really incredible experience.
1: That's really interesting, so as you said, you've got about eighty employees right now. Where were you a year ago
0: uh, about twenty five
1: so that's massive growth, uh, as you said, that's like you know three hundred percent in a year. Um, how have you managed to do that, and what are the mistakes that you made in doing that along the way
0: uh I'll, I'll talk about the first question first. Um, I, I've, we've managed to do that by building a really interesting and u- unique culture. Um, about yeah. 20% of the company has been here for over five years. Uh, mm-hmm. And we want to build a place that we can retain people for them for people to be mm-hmm. able to do their best work. We mm-hmm. have a very emotionally intelligent team. We mm-hmm. are almost perfectly gender balanced, 50-50. Um, okay. And that's something that's really important for us, which is very mm-hmm. rare for especially tech companies these days. Mm -hmm. Um, And we want to also also build a place that people are not going to burn out. So we have Mm -hmm. a lot of folks who have families. We never want people to have to choose between being a part of a high growth, fast startup and also having kids and having a family and, and living their life. And so we really focus on how do we build a place that is not a sprint; it's a marathon. We're doing something right. that we want to, you know, be around yeah. in fifty years. What do we need to do now to actually lay that groundwork? Um, and one of the hardest parts about that is really just talent. I think everyone's feeling, feeling this now, mm-hmm. but there are uh, we we've been very fortunate to be able to build an incredible team of very inspiring people from all all walks of life. Um, but uh, it's they they're never enough great people uh, to, to join. Um, you know, we, we wish we could grow even faster, but really it comes down to a talent.
1: So why, why, why do you believe there are never enough great people? And how are you finding your people?
0: I mean, let me rephrase that. There are a lot of great people. It's hard to find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's hard to convince them to leave their existing jobs. And uh and you know, it's a very competitive talent market. Um, we have an incredible mm-hmm. talent mm-hmm. team. We've brought almost all of this all in-house. Uh, we have a great people team and a talent team, uh, and mm-hmm. we're doing a mm-hmm. lot of outreach. Um, and also we're starting to get more inbound also. Um so mm, again, good. part of it is just is just getting the word out about you know this unique culture we've built. We take a international trip every year uh, called the Any Road Summit. Uh, the last one we took right mm-hmm. before COVID, we went to Barcelona, and we put everyone up in like these amazing Airbnb's, and we had this amazing time, mm-hmm. and went out for food, and uh, had scavenger hunts, and and bringing people together mm-hmm. uh, just really cements that, and we believe that that is worth investing in. Um, you know, I, I, like to tell people, people say, you know, what's, what's the worst thing about the company? I'm like, well, it's very chaotic. Uh, but in, in other ways, like that chaos is important, right? Because it yeah. allows us to move very quickly, allows us to bring in brilliant people and, and not have to have mm-hmm. a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, yes, we sometimes err on the side of not having a ton of processes. Uh, but I also think that's important to conserve as much mm-hmm. of that chaos as possible, because I think that, mm-hmm. that, makes it a very exciting place to work and also one that enables people to really, uh, to really, you know, change the game.
1: Mm -hmm. What kind of hiring mistakes have you had and why do you think you had them? Um, At least over the past year with such exponential growth.
0: Yeah. I look, I I think that the biggest hiring mistakes, I don't think this is unique to any road necessarily Mm -hmm. um, is hiring based on pedigree. Um, Like I don't, Care what university people went to, or how many mm-hmm. degrees people have, mm-hmm. or yeah, even what companies people came from. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, we now have have learned this that we t- we tend not to go after people who came from, you know, the big companies, the Googles, the Salesforces, the mm-hmm. IBMs, the Oracles. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of great talent there, but uh, mm-hmm. and and we we certainly you know are not going to turn people away because they've worked at one of these companies. Um, But Mm -hmm. sometimes when people spend their life in these large companies, they're used to infinite resources. Uh, That's right. A lot of infrastructure. A lot of processes, uh, a Mm -hmm. lot of kind of Mm -hmm. uh, being able to expect what's happening tomorrow. Uh, And we're operating in in an environment that's shifting all the time. Uh, A lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos, uh, a lot of, a lot of questions that have no answers yet. Uh, I find that very exciting. I, I, you know, and Mm -hmm. we've built a team of people who thrive in that kind of chaos and Mm -hmm. uncertainty, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely a a person specific. thing.
1: Yeah. There's, there's no question about that. I mean, that's, you know, I think any, any uh, search, any decent search professional knows that. Yeah. Right. Knows that, you know, you don't take somebody out of IBM and, you know, put them into a startup. Right. It's just, you know, there's probably a 98% chance it's going to fail. Yeah. And it's not that you won't get a diamond in the rough, you might, but you know, that's that's the question is, you know, do we just want to throw them away or not even bother to interview them? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, do we want to take time to see if maybe we can't find that diamond in the rough? Absolutely. And it's it's labor intensive. Very right? so yeah. you know, that's the I think that's one of what's one of the big challenges. Um what do you what do you see your clients uh wasting time and money on, Jonathan?
0: Uh I see my clients this is gonna be Maybe an unexpected answer, but I see my clients uh, wasting time and money on experiences uh, before they come to us. Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're wasting hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars a year on experiences, and they have no idea what's working, what's not, what the ROI is. Mm, sure. Um, so, I mean, the interesting thing is most organizations at this point. I don't need to convince anymore that experiences. -hmm. Are the way to engage consumers. Everyone knows this. Um, The problem is, it's a waste of money if you have no data behind it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You've talked a lot about your company culture and that you're, you know, 50 50, gender balanced. Tell me what the makeup is of your executive team.
0: Um, Our our executive team is almost gender balanced. Um, We have people uh, in, both go to market, um, so sales, marketing, customer success, uh, and then we also have uh, design engineering. um, And and we've really started to grow our people team. So actually Mm -hmm. investing heavily in people, in talent, have an amazing finance team um, and really kind of setting up the infrastructure for fast growth. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always, it's always kind of a balance of like, we, we have these, you know, incredible leaders. We give them the, uh, the enablement to, to move very quickly and, 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 and build their Mm -hmm. team. Um, But uh, you know, the most important thing is kind of collaboration between, between the execs.
1: Right. How many, how many people are on the exec team?
0: Uh, ten.
1: You're ten you. You're just about, and you're just about balanced. Um, are all those ten people at the sea level, or or how many are at the sea level?
0: Uh, sea level MVPs. VPs. Yeah, we're okay. Trying trying to limit the millions of different uh, titles. Yeah, and, no, head, no. And, I, and, I mean, and, and, and
1: you're up. small, and you're a small company still, right? So, That's right. That's right. I mean, you have to you have to look at you know do do we? I mean, I am assuming you're still a fairly flat organization. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, which you know would not make sense otherwise. Right. What's your day to day look like as a leader? Like, what do you spend your time doing? Uh,
0: a lot of investor relations. A lot of working with mm-hmm. my direct reports and the other execs, uh, just to mm-hmm. make sure we're all of the same strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure that you know communication is flowing. Um, a lot of a lot of unblocking people. Um, a lot of just mm-hmm. you know, my leadership style is is very much a let me get, let me bring on people who are much better than, than I am and that anyone else mm-hmm. on the team and let's, let's remove all blocks. Um, and then where I'm spending probably most of my time is, is talent. Um, Daniel or mm-hmm. I still interview every single person. Um, right. and it's, you know, we want to do that for as long as possible. Um, mm-hmm. we have a, you know, very high bar from a, a cultural perspective and also mm-hmm. a, um uh, a, a talent perspective. Um, And it's and it's worked. Um, So that's it's very, very time intensive, but it's something that's uh, Mm -hmm. not negotiable right now.
1: Well, listen, I I mean, you're not going to get any argument out of me because, you know, I firmly believe that, you know, if one is if one is one's goal is to build a talent centric organization, which it sounds like what you're doing, um, it's labor intensive. Right, Very. I mean IBM's never going to have a talent center organization SAP's yes. never going to have a talent centric organization. Oracle's never going to have a talent center organization you know and they, they and they could argue with that, but they don't have that, and they're never going to because of the time and money that would take, really right. the time yeah. that it would take to do it you're, they're just they're just too big, and exactly. it's so much smarter to do it when you're small before you, before you've before you've you know pissed away tens of millions of dollars in uh, investment <laughs>
0: Definitely, you know definitely.
1: on on making making mistakes and you know it's because okay. because your executive team isn't properly aligned and you know, because you're not properly aligned, you know then you can't you know you can't build the right kind of get the right kind of talent strategy. Did the pandemic require you to adjust how you do business?
0: Yeah, so the you know we, we're an experienced company and uh, and our success is inextricably tied to the success of the experience economy. And when COVID hit, experiences were the first thing to uh, to drop off a cliff. Um, and we were terrified. Um, and the amazing thing is that we didn't lose any customers. Um, our customers came to us. And it's some of the smartest CEOs I've ever met said, look, we need to be wherever our customers are. And if our customers are in stores, we need to be in stores. If our customers are on the beach, we need to be on the beach. And if our customers are sitting at home in their pajamas, we need to be in their homes. How do we do that? And we made a very quick bet on uh, Mm -hmm. online experiences. We built a platform. We called it Any Road at Home. uh, And we used it to migrate all of our customers' experiences to Zoom, uh, to YouTube Live, to Facebook Live, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And what this looked like was Budweiser doing brewer- brewery experiences and beer tastings online, and
1: mm-hmm. whiskey
0: companies doing experiences online, and mm-hmm. uh, and grocery chains doing cooking classes online, and right. and stores doing uh, and art stores doing art classes online. And the amazing thing is, it worked. Uh, not quite as well as in real life experiences. So in real life experiences still have deeper and engage- create deeper engagement and the data mm-hmm. shows this, but mm-hmm. amazingly you take away the ge- geographic constraint and suddenly digital experiences can can go all over the world. And, uh, and this was a huge departure for us, it was not even on our roadmap ahead of time, but digital experiences weren't really a thing ahead of time uh, nearly right. as much as they are now. So now though, what we're seeing is that most of our customers expect that the future will be both hybrid in real uh-huh. life and also yeah, digital right. experiences. And this is yeah. amazing. Um, and what we're seeing is that they're looking at it as two different segments. So if you mm-hmm. want to go to Stranahan's, it's an hour drive maybe for you. Uh, but yeah. if if people in Brazil want to go to Stranahan's, they might be huge Stranahan whiskey fans, but mm-hmm. they can go online and participate in an experience right. without ever stepping foot in the location.
1: That's so great. And as you were describing that, I was thinking there's got to be a hybrid model, right, so for you yeah. to do some of each. And so, so to use Stranahan's as an example, um, with Stranahan's, you know, say, okay, you need to go buy these whiskeys, or we're going to send you a send you a kit so we can all do this tasting together. How does that? How does that look?
0: Yeah. It it runs the gamut. So we have, Mm -hmm. we see, you know, Michael's doing art classes where you buy the supplies, they'll ship you the supplies, Mm -hmm. you know, they have an Mm e-commerce site and then so everyone can paint at the same time with, with, with the teacher. Um, Mm -hmm. we see experience. I mean, we see experiences where you can go out and buy your own beer and then everyone's drinking beer together. Uh, We see yoga experiences where everyone's doing yoga together at the same Mm time. Um, I've, participated in some amazing wine tastings where they sent me a bottle of mm-hmm. wine or two at home and mm-hmm. everyone's drinking together with, with mm-hmm. some you know, master sommelier. So it really runs mm-hmm. the gamut. Um, but yeah. we are seeing that when we have a multi-sensory experience, right? So anything that triggers at least three senses, uh, that is mm-hmm. infinitely more, uh, yeah. powerful than just an experience where you're watching something.
1: That's really interesting. So what percentage of your 80 employees are out in the Bay Area in your office?
0: Um, I think we have uh, 50 in the Bay Area, uh, about 20 in Athens, Greece, uh, and about 10 elsewhere in the United States.
1: So, so it's a part B of the COVID question, how did you adjust that when COVID, especially since you're in California and California, I don't know if it's still shut down, but it seems to be still shut down.
0: It seems to be, it seems to be. I'm actually in the
1: office.
0: I'm actually in the office yeah. today.
1: Um, Is anybody there with you?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there are like eight people here today. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and I think we had about 20 here yesterday. So okay. people are, people come in, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I think we... We, we certainly weathered from a cultural and a communication perspective better than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, there there is this thing though, where people are, are just as productive now. Everyone has a comfortable home office. Now we, we mm-hmm. get, we told everyone to come grab their chairs and bring their chairs home and everyone has multiple mm-hmm. screens. And so, you know, a lot of people have these comfortable home offices. And so yeah. the, Argument can definitely be made, and I believe this, that a lot of people are just as productive at home as they are in the office. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you do lose something, right? And you lose this creativity, you lose this collaboration, you lose the ability to communicate and look people in the Mm -hmm. eye and and also have Mm -hmm. side conversations. So some of the most impactful things that have ever happened here at the company were not planned in a 1 p.m. meeting in a, in a meeting room or on zoom, it was, it was Mm -hmm. two people bumping into each other in the kitchen while microwaving, Mm -hmm. you know, butternut squash or something like that. And, and having this amazing idea and riffing on it, Mm -hmm. jumping into a room, getting on a whiteboard. And this has turned these, these kinds of, of, of conversations have turned into some extremely innovative and very successful pieces of the company. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot harder to do on zoom. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. we're, we're now navigating I g- g- with every other company in the world, uh, what the future looks like on one hand, nobody wants to sit on, on, a you know, a, a subway or, uh, or a train Freeway. for an hour each way yeah. every single day. Right. That's, you know, an hour each way, that's 10 hours a week of lost mm-hmm. time that they could be doing yoga, working out, having breakfast with their family, like mm-hmm. anything. So I don't think we're going to go back to that. On the other hand, like I do believe that many of the companies that are going fully remote are not really the ones that are going to be changing industries and really right. uh, focused on cre- creative uh, on creative solutions. So I do think that there there's there's a There is a place in between. There is a balance of giving Mm -hmm. people this Mm -hmm. kind of new flexibility where uh, and where they can work wherever they're going to do their work best. But also having a physical space to create this kind of collaboration, uh, encouraging creativity uh, and Mm -hmm. opening up communication that is going to actually make us better as an organization. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that people will and companies will really find a balance of what works. You know, I've been working I've been working from home for twenty years. Um, I think more and more companies have realized people can they can let their people work from home and they'll be just as productive because they have more hours in the day to work now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like you said, they can you know go to the gym in the morning instead of you know say so they feel better about themselves rather than having to say oh, gotta you know I'm already getting up at five a.m. and you know to go to work. Um, and I just can't work out. So people are really making the time to to do all that. And and I think so many industries realize that people are actually working more once they started working at home, right? Um, I know personally, because I've been working from home for 20 years, I relish getting out of my office. In fact, I've got a I've got a meeting here in about an hour and a half um with a new prospect. Right, that I'm gonna actually go meet with. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's just not the same. Yeah, being on a, being on a Zoom call or a phone call all the time—it's just not. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need and to Zoom, get out and, and meet people.
0: Yeah, and Zoom fati- Zoom fatigue is real. Like we're seeing that's this right. occur across across the
1: organizations. There's, no que- there's no question. No question. So if uh, Jonathan, if somebody listening to this interview uh, is really thinking this is, you know, I, I pretty much end all my interviews like this, thinking this is a really cool company. I mean, they're they're. They're, in, they're building a market. Uh, I'd love to work for somebody like that. What, what should they do?
0: Email me, jonathan at anyroad.com or uh, check out our open roles, anyroad.com slash careers. Um, reach out. Okay. We're, you know, we're growing quickly and uh, we'd, we'd love, to, uh, mm-hmm. love to meet you.
1: Anything that I've missed that you want to add in?
0: No, no. I, I think this has been a great conversation.
1: Good. Well, I appreciate that. Well, Jonathan Yaffe, co-founder and CEO of AnyRoad, it's really been a delight to meet you. I think we've been been trying to make this happen for quite a while, it seems. (laughs) I'm I'm glad to finally meet you. (laughs)
0: Definitely. Thanks so much, Carol.
1: Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.